welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. This series will be studying Deuteronomy 10 of our great and gracious God. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday. Deuteronomy 10, and it is ironic. Again, I, I, I always, it's true what Chris said, that, that all of this word is, is God-breathed. It's all one. There's a meta-narrative of all of Scripture, a singular divine author. And so uh, when we're faithful to spend time in His Word, we're going to see uh, the interconnectedness. And yet, I, I can't help but believe there's a special blessing from God uh, when we're faithful to study His Word the way that He uh, magnifies His Word. The way that we come to the Ten Commandments within our time of family catechism and then we come again to Deuteronomy and we see the, this focus of God and, and of course all of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law and so we're, we're receiving it again. We won't be going into study of the Ten Commandments and yet it is closely related. So we're focusing on Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. So we're, we're going into study again, seeing God as central, just as He is in the Ten Commandments, we're seeing Him as central in all of our life and service. Um, and so we're going to slow down our study and, and be spending time in just one verse this week. And I, I, I appreciate that, especially after such the rapid pace that we've been going uh, the following weeks. And so I'm just going to read from Deuteronomy 10:12 uh, Again, just a reminder, hold this in context. I'll allow you to do your own reading through the week to see the way this is where the law is, is given a second time, a retelling of all that had happened on Sinai and, and a recommissioning of the people of God as they would be prepared to receive the promises of God. And so uh, all of that is pertinent uh, for your study this week. Uh, but it, it should be easy for you to catch up as we'll be in Deuteronomy 10, 13 next week. So uh, I welcome you to stand as we read from God's Word this morning. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? to walk in all His ways and to love Him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Father, we thank You for such a clear word this morning. Lord, as our lives and our minds have been altogether busy, the past several weeks. We pray that we too as a people here today in a new life. God, that we would be acquainted, reacquainted with truths that are so central to our belief, to our life, and our service in your kingdom. God, that we would be made sure 
of your presence and of your promise. That you would bear witness in our hearts today. We would hold fast to this good teaching we receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we consider all of the the word of the Lord, this this passage really comes to us and it's quite familiar. It's it's quite familiar whenever we went through all that the Lord did in Egypt. It's familiar to us when we studied uh, Israel receiving the Ten Commandments. It's quite... Familiar to us whenever we studied the Shema passage. The central uh, text that would govern all of Jewish life and thought. And the way that they would deliver that to their children. And their children to their children. And so this is really something quite central to all that we believe. In every passage we study, we come to know Uh, This and this answers the question. This is what the Lord uh, requires of us. This is the question that comes up again and again in the New Testament. What what does the Lord require? What must I do uh, to be saved? It's one that's pertinent for us as we study how to evangelize in philosophies of the world. We're going to need to enter into This study, this is what we want to know and it's what we have answered for us in the New Testament when we understand all of life and godliness. And so we're entering into a study of what it looks like for for us to have faithful service uh, before the Lord. So we just want to walk slowly through this because we're going to be spending time in this portion of the text. We should receive a a fuller context in the coming weeks. But in the rhetorical question, and now Israel, what, what does the Lord require, the Lord thy God require of you? But to fear the Lord thy God. We've talked about this in the past weeks and we see how pertinent it is that the Christian must fear God. We've seen this uh, in in each time. We've seen it in Deuteronomy as, as they're fixing to enter into the promised land. This is being prescribed for them again. You've got to fear the Lord. In the past few weeks as we've gone through Acts, we've seen how pertinent the fear of the Lord is. Among those who have rejected His Word, among those who are serving God, who are looking forward to death by persecution, if we don't have the fear of the Lord, it's impossible for us to move on to those finer points. We've talked about the pertinence of the fear of the Lord even in the preaching of His Word. One Lord's Day to the next. 
We must fear the Lord. And while we're not going to dive altogether in the commandments, we, we see this everywhere else. We remember Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. We're told this is the whole duty of man to fear God and keep His commandments. The Christian must fear God. This is the beginning, we're told, in some of those general truths of the Proverbs, the beginning of all wisdom <coughs> is the fear of the Lord and that the fool despises instruction. It's the starting point, fear of the Lord. And because I want to cover all of chapter 12, we, we, could, we could spend our, all of our time right here. But I think even the text itself gives us uh, the basis of such a fear. Again, not an ungodly fear, not a spirit of fear, but a healthy fear. Now, one of the first things that draws us to such fear and reverence is that we have the name of the Lord. What many of us who spend any amount of time in Scripture uh, make fault of doing sometimes is skimming over those four capital letters. L-O-R-D in the text. And just some entomology for the way we receive that in, in the Bible is that we have that L-O-R-D and when it's in all caps, the translators have done that to show us this is the covenant name of God. This is not the generic Adonai. It's, it's not just simply Lord. This is the covenant name of God that is so precious to the people of God that we don't say the name of the God. We don't write the name of the Lord for fear that we might use it in vain and break the commandment of God. And so the, that we have the name of the Lord, the covenant name of God that was given to Moses. The I Am. The Yahweh. And even in the fact that it's not written for us here, and it's only uh, encapsulated to us in this L-O-R-D, shows us the fear and the reverence with which we ought to hold the name of the Lord. And when this name is mentioned, whenever Joshua would bring this before the people and, and Moses would say this word before the people and whenever Jew, Jewish people for all of times would read this text and they would see that, they would call to memory all that's being told here in the way that they would enter in that Moses would not even be given the name without being told, remove the shoes from your feet for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. We have the name of the Lord and it is a holy name that solicits fear of God. And He is the Lord. 
We don't move too hastily. We understand He is the Lord our God. When we reflect on the other places where this same sort of language and uh, this pattern or this phrase is developed, we, we think of the Shema, or I do. The one that was repeated time and again as this is used to, to disciple and to catechize the children of God's people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He's one God. He's God. Sometimes we go into our prayer time, we go into our time of worship, and, and, and we think we think maybe we have built up a, a high uh, ideology of how we should dress on the Lord's Day. We should have a, a, a theology of our worship. And what, what are the words in the songs that we sing? Maybe we've developed a, a pattern of our service and, and have a high ecclesiology, but do we enter in and do we recall or think to ourselves how mighty of a God under whose presence we meet? Did we give consideration of that this morning? Did we think more of the conversation that we look forward to have with our brother or sister? Did we think of the encouragement that maybe we would receive? Or did we think of the mighty and holy and just and loving and merciful and fearful God in whose name we would gather? This is the God of the universe. The God of creation. The God of our redemption. The God who brought His people out of the land of Egypt. It solicits fear in the Christian. And what is altogether sweeter is God in His Word does not reveal Himself as any intangible God, but as the Lord, your God. The Lord thy God. That's not thee. I know a lot of us are using the King James. It's not thee. That doesn't mean thee. It is the Lord your God. The Lord thy God should ring sweet in your ears. To understand this is our God. It's not the God of the world. All of the world that wishes to tell us what it takes to love man, what it looks like to be fair, to be just, they're wrong. It's a different God they worship. He's our God and He's made Himself known to us, not everybody else. And so it's this that inspires this reverential awe and fear for us when we gather in His name. This is the Lord our God. He's my God. He's made Himself known to me. He's given me His covenant name. He's given Himself to me. And so all of this escalates whenever we continue to read that we have the fear of the Lord thy God, what does He require of you to walk in all His ways? We walk in His ways. There's a community there. 
A community there that, that we lost and whenever God would walk in the garden with the cool of the day, now we're being commanded to walk in His ways whenever God no longer walks among men due to sin. And so there's a number of ways in this. A lot of this, this is biblical theology should flood in to our minds when we see this community that God has commanded for us. Of course, we're all created in His image and we should think of Eden. We should think of the way that we're made in Mago Day in the image of God and the way in which we should long to walk again in His presence. We should think of the way in which we've been commanded to walk again in His commandments. So long ago, when Adam, when man walked in the presence of God, in the commandment of God, I would argue, would argue there was a covenant of works where he chose not to walk in the commandment of the Lord. He no longer walked in the presence of the Lord. And so we've received this command. Even here, we'll be given the command again for us to follow. That is what it means to walk in His ways. This is why it's paired for us to fear the Lord, walk in His commandments. The passage I referenced earlier, the whole duty of man is to fear the Lord and keep His commandments. We walk in His ways. Of course His ways are higher than our ways. It's a whole other theology and we're, we're building all of this up and we'll be spending much more time in it as this is unpacked for us in the coming weeks. So we have the commandment. We keep the commandment. And friends, we already know where this goes. The way that the Christian must walk in God's ways would mean nothing if it was apart from the Son. Because we've already been there before. Israel's already been there before. God's already led His people down that path of His commandment straight to His Son who kept His command. And just as we sung this morning in our hymns of, of what the work of Christ allows us to do. Understand your guiltiness of sin, but understand the rich life of holiness and purity, purity that you've been called to in Jesus Christ. He's made you able to please this God that we fear. He's made you able to live and walk in newness of life as you abide in His Word and command. How beautiful. What a wonderful thing. And you know Israel didn't know the half of it. And yet we have Christ we know what it means. We're not being told a list of commands when we understand to walk in the way. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't, don't forget all that God has taught you in His Word. You have the One who is the way. This is what even the early church, this is the theology of the early church. They're, they're of the way. 
We just studied a lot in the life of Paul as we went through the book of Acts. When he was encouraged by the brothers, there were others who were of the way. It's a fitting, that's fitting language for us who are commanded to walk in the ways of the Lord. The Christian must fear God. The Christian must walk in God's ways. The Christian must love God. Now it's interesting. If we think of our Deuteronomy 6 study, we read in 6.5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thy mind. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. We studied that. And what it means to love God with every fiber of your being. To love God because He first loved us. We must love the Lord thy God. The Lord your God. The Lord my God. And this by itself is enough to shatter some of the paradigms that unbelievers are so, that they so often stumble over. And having a just God, and having a harsh God, one who punishes sin upon the third and fourth generation, we love Him. In a world who doesn't understand slavery and sees all of the harshness of slavery, but they don't see the goodness of being slave to a master that you love. They don't get it. And this right here is the basis of so much of our service, of our walking in His command is that this is a law of love. Now don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a separate law now uh, where we've stepped away from the law of God or His commandments and and, and we're pursuing some other uh, Greco-Roman law of love. No, this law, this command that was delivered to us and is given to us once and for all to the saints, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, this is the, the law of love. We love God. We didn't receive the law in Sinai apart from the love of God. It was not just the justice or the, or, or, or the judgment of, or righteousness of God that delivered to us the law to Moses. It was the love of God. He's making Himself known to us. He's leading us right to His Son who would fulfill that law. 
who would live in you and cause you to begin to fulfill that law as Christ lives in you. So the Christian must love God. If, if you say that you seek to keep the command, that you try your hardest to fulfill this law, to do these things, and yet you don't, rest entirely and fully on the full work of Jesus Christ in accomplishing that law for you, friend, that's not Christianity. And yet if you tell me all I need is Christ, I don't have any need for this law. I don't, I don't love that law. I, I just love Jesus. Friend, you don't Love God, and that is not Christianity. We'll talk about all of this in much greater depth in our evening studies throughout this year. That's why I want you to be a part of it. But the Christian must love God, and for us, that means loving. His law, loving His command, loving His Son, loving His people, loving His church, loving His Word, loving your wife enough to wash her in the water with the Word. All of this is what it means to love God. Christian, you must. You must do it. So what's required of you, Israel? And now by extension, as I... As we study this, what's required of us as the people of God, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God. If you love God, you will serve God. When we as pastors look at the life of Christians, it's hard. The only way for me to know if you love God is are you serving God? What if you're not serving God? You don't love Him. It's just that it is that clean and simple. You can come up here and take a swim in our baptistry if you want. Doesn't mean anything. To me, and it doesn't mean nothing to God unless you have been washed, unless you died in the flesh and were raised in newness of life. We serve God. It's just that simple and it just makes that level of sense. We serve what we love. The man who loves his wife serves her. He meets her needs. He protects her. The man who loves his children disciples his children. Locks the doors at night. He's the last one to bed and he's the first one to rise. When you love God, you serve God. 
When you love the world, you serve the world. When you love yourself, you serve yourself. This is why love yourself is not part of our motto here. We love God here. And we serve God. Now to draw on what I began just a few moments ago, before, just, just before in the same conversation to the same audience, we read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Here we're told what's required of you, Israel, to love the Lord your God and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Very similar connotations here, isn't it? But now we're not told to love the Lord with all your heart and soul. We're told to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. I don't want to just conflate those two, and yet the Bible seems to, to give us some basis in order to say that there is not one without the other. There is no love unless there's service. There's no service apart from a true love. Let's tease that out. And for us who's been here for some time, we've studied James. You've seen you don't love your neighbor without serving your neighbor. This is why we don't preach the gospel without meeting needs. And yet it's become the question for so often, you don't serve your neighbor Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not loving. We don't give people food who ref just constantly refuse to work. We help get them work and we meet their needs as well. We love them on every level. We help them be functional, thriving Christians. Newness of life, life abundant. So this love is coming out. We don't have one without the other. And so like we did with love, we must think of our service. What does it mean to serve God with all of our heart and with all of our soul? We're not simply told to serve the Lord uh, with, all of our, with our hands or to serve uh, God with all of our budget. Uh, or, or to serve God with all of our time. Serve God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now what's clear if you read this enough, and you're, most often you're never going to see these separated from one another, because again, this is a, a, uh, a, a grammatical statement, a literary tool that's used to, to tell us, hey, love, love God with all your heart and soul, with everything, with all you got. Love the Lord your God with all of it. And we might even say it's, the, it's some of the same thing, and yet it's not. There's different words. My hope this morning is to express to you, instead of just saying, uh, to, to just lump these together and just say love God or serve God, in this case, a lot, let the language have its effect. Love God more than just a lot. Love God more than just with, with all of your being. Love Him more. More than that. That's what the language is drawing us to. 
with all of your heart. That made sense. That was an easy connection for us to make whenever we were saying, love the Lord with all your heart. But now we're saying to serve the Lord with all of your heart. With all of your desire and all of your will. All of your want to. We're told to serve the Lord with all of our soul. That's what makes up a man. It's not simply with your body. We do our work, all our work is unto the Lord. We do get tired and we exhaust ourselves with our hands. It's a good thing to work diligently unto the Lord. And yet, when the day is done, we must pray to God that there's still something left when our hands are tired, that our heart is still full in order to come into the door to serve again our children. After the work day is done. Because this passage doesn't tell us to work till you're exhausted for the Lord. It tells you to serve with all of your heart and with all your soul. Everything you've got and then more. And that's what it takes. That's what it takes. What we're told is what this is what is required of you. What's required of you? God requires everything from you. He doesn't he doesn't exact upon you the greatest portion of your time. Friends, I think it's a wise thing for you to sit down with your budget and to see that a majority of your household spending is going to some form of kingdom work. I put it that way because I don't, I don't mean to the church, 100% to the church, but it's to kingdom work. What of your budget is going to kingdom work? What is going to, to outfitting all of your family with, with Bibles for study and discipleship in the home? What, what portion of, of your, your, your giving uh, goes to help a friend or, or family in need that you've ministered to with great regularity? Whatever it is, that's a great practice for the biggest part of your budget. That's not what God requires. God requires all of it. He requires all of you where there is nothing left for the world. When the, when the man of God or when the person of God, when the, the sinner saved by grace comes to God, there's nothing left. There's no white lie left to protect. There's no small temptation that is left okay. There should be nothing left of you except that which belongs to God. It doesn't mean you quit your job. But it means that you're working for, for the Lord in that context now.
I'm encouraged, you know, by our brother Jacob. I see him posting and the Lord is, has led him to a job. He's just doing a, a secular children's program at the Y. And he's teaching scripture. Pray for him that, that the Lord would allow that to last. Secular work unto the Lord. Praise God for that. Christians, we don't come to texts like this. We're not told to, to, to walk in all the ways of God, to, to love God and to serve Him and to fear Him uh, you know, with all our heart and soul. We don't come to passages like that for the purpose of nuancing it to death and to say what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is to sell all you have and give to the poor. What it doesn't mean is to change your occupation. What it doesn't mean is to give up certain hobbies that you have. What it doesn't mean is to eat or to not eat or to fast or to pray this number of times throughout the day. What it doesn't mean is that you, you don't have to engage in a level of, of study that I engage in each week. You just you know have a one scripture devotion that you can flip over on the counter by the sink. That's enough. You know what? That's not what any of this scripture says. This scripture says do it all. Give everything over to the Lord. For He is yours and you are His. As much as we can express our gratitude and thankfulness in the mystery that God could give Himself to us, that He could call Himself thy God, it is equally profound that you are His. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Him. Let that govern our study in the coming weeks. Let that govern our lives as we think and pray on how we might better disciple our families, how we might better uh, utilize our time, how we might engage in study, how we might engage in evangelism. And certainly how we will study the rest of of this text and the commandment of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to You that You've given us this, Your Word. Father, we pray that this leads us to a fearful service in Your kingdom. God, that we might fear You. That You would grant us greater purity and success in walking in the ways that are so far above our own. Lord, that the works of Christ would be made manifest in us. Father, that we would love You we would see none of this as a sense of obligation, but in sheer gratitude for the grace that you have offered to us already in Christ. That we would love you. Father, I pray that you guide us. 
as each one of us is left with a question on how it is that we might serve you this way. Father, what does it look to look like to serve the Lord? Before our spouse and our children. Among those of us with young families and those of us who are empty nesters. How do we serve you with all of our heart and our soul in the workplace, in the schools, in the factories, and in retirement? Teach us, God, how to fulfill this command. And God, we pray. We pray that in all of this, that, that, that You are glorified. That Your work in Christ is made manifest. That the world would see it. That the world would, would come to hear of the one true God who's our God. Father, that You've made Yourself known to us in Your Word. Father, that we would not be ashamed of this that You've given us. And Father, as we study Your Word and Your commandment, that we see the One that You have sent in more recent times who is in the express image of Your nature. Father, we pray that all of our study and all of our speech and all of our work that it would serve the end that Christ would be made all in all. Until the fullest coming of His kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Join us here each Lord's Day as we study our great and gracious God.